Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, coming to you from Toronto. I normally start the podcast with a land acknowledgement, but I am following the lead of an Indigenous friend who asked me to go beyond a land acknowledgement and instead say what I am going to do now that I am more aware of the plight of Indigenous peoples. In the spirit of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada, I, Donna Paris, solemnly pledge to learn more about Indigenous peoples and issues, to not perpetuate stereotypes in my conversations or observations, to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's 94 calls to action, to read the 231 calls for justice in the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and to actively encourage ongoing support of National Indigenous Peoples Day every June 21st and National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And you can find this pledge at Indigenous Corporate Training Inc at www.ictinc.ca. I give gratitude and thanks. I'm here today with Christian Mbanza, who was born January 22nd, 1993 in South Africa in a province called Limpopo. Christian's parents are both from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Christian's father is a doctor and his mother works in childcare. And Christian's family immigrated to Canada from South Africa in 2002 when he was nine years old. Christian currently teaches school at Nicole St. Mary's in Regina, Saskatchewan. So welcome, Christian. Hi, Donna. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. We'll talk later about your family and their journey from the Democratic Republic of Congo to South Africa and then to Saskatchewan. But I first heard about you when I read the article you were a part of. You were featured talking about teaching Black history to your students. And you shared with me that you have a passion for history and the impact that it has on current society. What's it been like teaching Black history to students and maybe other teachers who probably don't know much about it? For me, it's really eye-opening how much of our history has been buried and how much people don't actually know. And so I often wonder why or how did significant events that are important to our country are so largely unknown. And so that's kind of my first reaction. It's, it's eye-opening. And then secondly, also, I feel the sense of importance and the weight of it all of telling those stories, because if I don't, these stories are going to go untold and forgotten as they already have, particularly when it comes to Black history. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. And essentially, it is Canadian history. So telling these stories to people and seeing their reaction, it brings me a little bit of joy. What is some of the Black Canadian history you've learned about? Basically, as much of Canadian history as, as I know, and Black history is included in that. If you go as far back as the loyalists, there were Black loyalists who settled in Eastern Canada, and ultimately, some moved back to Western Canada. And then even the establishment of Canada, 1867, you see that they were trying to establish more settlers in the prairies. And I think in about 1907, in Oklahoma, there was a combination of indigenous land and Oklahoma territory, which called for more farming. And of course, Black people tried to go and settle. And with the Jim Crow era and segregation, it didn't work for them. They oftentimes got the worst of the land or the resources, or if none at all. 
And so they decided to sell their land and move to the prairies and move to Saskatchewan. And from that time period, we see that there has always been Black migration in Canada, which is as much a part of Black history or Canadian history, I should say. Has it been easy to find information about Black Canadian history? When it comes to information in terms of Canada, especially Eastern Canada and Western Canada, it's a lot easier to find because there's been a lot of contributions in what has become Canada today. Look at British Columbia and the contribution of someone like Mifflin Gibbs. If it wasn't for him, the Confederation of British Columbia probably doesn't happen, right? In reading the history of Canada, you kind of find out that there has been a lot of Black contributions, but in the prairies, it's a lot different. The history is almost hidden and or not written about at all. So you have to dig a little more or ultimately connect dots in order to find information of what happened in the prairies. I come from Nova Scotia, from the east coast of Canada, and there's a lot of Black communities throughout Nova Scotia, throughout New Brunswick, throughout Ontario. Is it because in the prairies, there used to be communities and now they're no longer there, or are there still Black communities there? There are no longer communities here because in 1911, there was an Immigration Act put in place barred Black people from coming into the prairies. And that contributed a lot to how these communities basically essentially dispersed and were forced to assimilate into cities and things of that nature. Those communities are no longer there, but there's still people who are descendants of people who have moved from that time period. Carol Lafayette Boyd. We have an interview set up for sometime in April, and she was sharing me some of her family history. And she mentioned the Shiloh Baptist Church. There's a few other places that she mentioned. Right. And so at that time, again, in 1907, there was a large migration of Black farmers, and they had attempted to establish themselves here. And with the lack of resources and help from the government, they had to basically assimilate into cities. And Carol Lafayette Boyd is one of the people who come from uh, the descendants of those. And she's really awesome. You're going to have a great time talking to her because she has a lot of knowledge from that time period, firsthand accounts from her family members of what it was actually like at that time. Karina Vernon put out a book called The Black Prairie Anthology. Have you had a chance to look at that? Have you heard about that? No, oh, I haven't. Karina Vernon, she's a professor out of the University of Toronto. It's amazing. It's just chalk filled with stories, written letters, poems, all kinds of things about the history of Black people throughout the prairies. Black Prairie Archives, Karina Vernon. So I wonder how Black people were able to contribute so much to Canada, and there's still a lack of knowledge and understanding of what those contributions and how far it actually went to, to establishing what we have today in our society. I'm a retired teacher. It was Black History Month, and I wanted to do a project with my grade six students. You know, we hear a lot about Martin Luther King and Civil rights era, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, all of those. But I thought, I want to know about Black Canadians. So I started trying to look. Well, that was the first problem. I could come up with a bunch of names, but to find information about it. And it was a real learning for my grade six classes because they would come, Miss Paris, we can't find any information out about this person. We can't find anything. It was just really, it was a good lesson for them to learn. And they were like, why? Why can't we find this information? Yeah, and even you mentioned someone like Viola Desmond, and how come we don't know her story? Everybody knows about Rosa Parks, but Viola Desmond did just as much in contributing to fighting for the cause and 
I talk to people my age and they're like, I've never even heard of someone like Viola Desmond. And even going as far as the resources and, and finding things to read. I know, for me, the thing I do is I just read all these documents and put them together for the kids because I know they're going to have a hard time just finding it. Maybe that would be a good exercise to go through with the kids and seeing how hard it is to find information about Canadians. What are the children's reaction to learning about Black history? The comment I get the most is that they're excited to learn about this because they never, they don't understand why they've never gotten to learn about it or they don't know the history of it. So they're super grateful and it's interesting to always hear their reaction and what they think. I know that they understand once we go through the history, they begin to understand that there is an intentional lack of resources when it comes to Black history. And their reactions is always like they become so passionate about it as well. And what have you learned about racism directed Indigenous people? Do you get to talk about that with your students? I mean, when you talk about Canadian history, you first have to start with Indigenous people and what happened to them. And typically where I start is Indigenous culture. What was it like pre-colonization and pre-contact? Similar to how I look at African history is you have to look at it pre colonization because that's what it was like at its core right at it like the most fundamental uh, and so we typically look at like indigenous culture what it was like the Cree and then looking at 1867 and the signing of the Indian Act most people forget that there was a Canada before 1867 right so looking at that history I think is so important and then seeing how resilient indigenous people were throughout the signing of the treaties and how they never even wanted to. You look at somebody like Big Bear, who's from Saskatchewan, and they fought off the Canadian government as long as possible. But the lack of resources and the killing of the buffaloes ultimately forced them to sign the treaties. And you see the impact that it had today. It's a fundamental part of looking at the history of Canada and how that impacted today. I'm not sure if you heard about Tristan DeRocher. He was a kid who walked 635 kilometers to the Saskatchewan government here in Regina. And he protested and he basically went on a hunger strike in order for the government to hear him out and listen to him talk because they had voted down a bill. And I don't know if you know much about the history of reserves and um, the lack of clean water and even just the suicide rates, right? So he walked 635 kilometers so that he could raise awareness for the, the issues going on on these reserves. And our government didn't even hear him out, right? So you look at the history and you look at that impact that it has today and you see that a lot of the issues and problems that have happened in the past are still going on today. Yes, it's true. It's true. I went to Alberta on a trip to visit some family and we went past one of the Japanese internment camps. There's so much history I think that people don't know about Canada that we had people in internment camps. Yeah, a lot of it makes me think of like how overt it is in America and how open it is there. Here, it's almost the opposite. They intentionally went out of their way to hide a lot of what had happened. I was born here, my parents, I'm, you know, multi-generational Canadian. And people will often say there was no racism in Canada until all those people came from Jamaica and Trinidad and Guyana and, you know, parts of Africa. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm here to tell you there was racism here a long time before any immigration well, policy. 
And even still today, there's still Black people who struggle with discrimination and racism. And you look at the different sectors, there's not representation across the board. And that's part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get to that because I wanted to talk about, go back and talk about your parents. I've heard that the South African government came to Canada to see what we did for the reserves to figure out how they were going to set up apartheid in South Africa. And so I know that your parents, they came from the Democratic Republic of Congo to South Africa and then Saskatchewan. So how did that all come about? Yeah, so you're right. A a lot of the apartheid system was built similarly to um, the residential school system. It's very similar. You know, if you know Democratic Republic of Congo is still a developing country. And so at the time, my dad, he was uh, in school to be a doctor. He was working medicine. So I think he did his schooling in South Africa. And when he had finished, he had immigrated to Canada before we had. But before that, we lived, we lived in South Africa for about 10 years. And then he finished school and ultimately ended up settling in Regina, Saskatchewan. And so that was the journey that we had gone through. But spending time in both countries, it was interesting to see, like, number one, I was born right when Nelson Mandela was the president. So hearing his stories and you know, that was someone that everybody knew about, even at the very young age, you, you had heard what he'd done for the country and the way that he approached it, right? So you hear those stories and a lot of my approach is kind of taken from Nelson Mandela's story and the Martin Luther King's, right? And, and so being born in South Africa, I think that had a huge impact living in communities where there was a lot of Black people, but we were essentially the minorities when you went to schools or, you know, you went to different sectors. And so immigrating here, the struggle was similar, but the difference was I was usually the only Black person or Black kid in school, right? So whereas in South Africa, there were groups of Black kids in large white communities, right? Schools and businesses and things like that. But you come to Canada and you're Regina, Saskatchewan specifically, and you find yourself to be the only one and you're isolated. And so that carries a different kind of weight when, when you know, when you have that understanding. Did your parents talk about the politics of the day of South Africa and the history of racism there? Did they have discussions about that at home? I mean, you were younger then, but. For my parents, I think their approach was always just pushing education. I think Nelson Mandela said, education is a weapon. Looking back and having conversations with my parents now, I think that was their approach is not to talk about racism or in a sense, I think you could start to use it as a crutch, right? And as a disability, right? But they wanted to push me towards education. And they said, no matter what, you have to go to school. And that's the one thing that you can control is the things that you take in and the education that and the education level that you, uh, you know, accumulate for yourself. Remember coming to Canada? Was it winter when you arrived? I think it was October. So Oddly enough, actually, it, there was no snow when we arrived, but the next day, I vividly remember it snowing, and that was that was always so weird. <laughs> Experiencing <laughs> snow for the first time, I still remember that. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know if there's a f- way to describe what that feeling is like to see something for the first time. You want to just go out and get in it? <laughs> like- I think we did. I'm pretty sure we did get in it. But then you realize that like, holy crap, it's like, you just can't be out here doing this forever. <laughs> you can't be out here forever. <laughs> Talk about being like in your school, being the only in your class, maybe even in your school. 
so I have an older brother and a younger sister. Uh, my sister, she was quite a bit younger when we had first moved. I think she had been six years old and my brother, I think he was 14 or 13 or something like that. So I was kind of in that middle age group. And oftentimes you find yourself to be the only one, the only black kid. And I don't know, it creates a sense of resiliency and you do notice, like you notice your skin or you notice your difference a lot more when you're the only one. Did things happen to you? Were there incidents that happened with teachers or students or? Not in school. A lot of the incidents that I, I kind of was faced with when, when it came to racism was a lot in the neighborhoods. Like I would be biking in a, in a neighborhood and the police would show up and be like, do you live here? What are you doing here? Or, you know, we're hanging out in a park for maybe a little too long. And all of a sudden people are asking us if, if we're from the neighborhood and things like that. It was never really in school. I think I, I luckily found myself with a good group of friends who protected me a lot of times from incidences of racism. Your parents said education is a thing, but did they give you advice about what to do if something did happen? Not really. I always remember, and a lot of the incidents that happened to me, I never mentioned them to my parents because I know that as a Black parent, you probably want your kid to stay out of trouble regardless of the situation, right? So I didn't want to worry them or make them think I was doing something or anything wrong, right? So a lot of the incidents that happened to me, I would just like not mention it at all. Like I remember one time specifically, I was looking for a friend's house and circled the neighborhood a few times. And eventually I found the house and we were just hanging out and like 45 minutes later, police officers showed up to the house and they were like, we heard somebody were breaking in, like what's, what's happening? Things like that would happen. And you're just kind of like, holy, like I was, you know, I was just showing up to my friend's house to play. And so you go home and you don't tell your parents things like that. You don't know what their reaction is going to be. Do you remember how you felt? How did you feel about yourself? Because that has to affect you. I think in a way you become, it's bad to say, but you do become immune to it because you realize that there are people who look at you as a threat no matter where you go. You know, and that hadn't been the first time something like that had happened to me. Mm -hmm. I I remember other incidents of like just walking to the store and paying for something and then all of a sudden I'm getting accused for stealing and I'm in the back of a room and you know what I mean so those things happen so you have an understanding of what society is like and that there are certain people who automatically assume things about you you try to act a certain way when you're in a store in a neighborhood that you know people are are watching you are noticing that you're there what was it like when all the protests were going on in 2020 and 2021 in Saskatchewan yeah, much like the rest of the world, honestly, is that we, we organized a rally as well. And for us, uh, for me, I should say, it was an opportunity to speak my, speak my piece and tell my story and talk about the incidents that I've gone through here in the city. A lot of the times, people here in Regina, Saskatchewan don't know that people of color go through incidents of racism. I was actually a victim of discrimination. Somebody posted me on social media assuming that I was stealing a car because I, I don't know, I used my phone to unlock my, my vehicle. And so the way that it looked, looked like that I was stealing the car. And so somebody videotaped me and posted it on Facebook. And essentially what happened is my story got out and people saw that, you know, that was obviously a very clear racist situation that had happened to me. And so that allowed me to kind of speak up and tell my story and speak up for other people who don't get to tell their stories. And so when that had happened, I think for a lot of Black people, it was an opportunity to get their voice heard. 
And for me specifically, it was tough because I'm used to, like I said, not saying anything when things like that do happen. You just kind of find a way to be resilient and move forward with it. It was different having to now be up on stage. We had organized our rally, actually, a group of friends of and I, and we went in front of the parliament building and we spoke and we told stories and spoke about the changes that we had wanted to see in the city. Right. And so it honestly was very difficult because, you, like I said, you're not used to sharing your story or telling your story, but the impact that it had has allowed me to continue to do that. And so I've seen that the, the, the power of the story and just being able to tell your truth and stand up to the things that you see going on in society. And it has a huge impact. It does. I wrote this piece called I Am Black History. I think I sent you a link to it. And the amount of people that I heard from afterwards, it kind of gave other people permission to tell their story. We're all walking around with all these things that have happened to us. I grew up, you know, in an all white community. My family was the only black family until I was in grade six. I grew up in Nova Scotia, but my dad was in the armed services. So we lived on a base and we were it. No other people of color. Because well, uh... people often think, oh, you're from Nova Scotia. You must be some black community. But we weren't. And I think that if I was to ask the people who lived on that base, or if I was to check in with some people that I went to elementary school with, they would have no idea. They would have no idea because I would never show in any way that I was having a hard time. I would never let anybody know that things had happened to me. I would just swallow things. Again, I would not tell my parents like you. I would not tell my parents because I was afraid of what their reaction was going to be. And you just kind of keep all that stuff to yourself. I think there's something though now that's really good about being able to tell these stories. Other people can go, oh my God, that happened to you? Oh, this happened to me. And it's been really great. Yeah, in a way, it's so empowering to hear these stories because you see that, okay, so they went through a similar experience and I can go through that too. And so that's why I hear stories like of Viola Desmond and how she was living her regular life in Canada like us, and she had gone through an experience and she stood up to that. And so hearing those stories, it gives you a sense of pride and it makes you want to carry on those stories going back to like why we, we should tell these stories. And Again, I know for me, every time I read these stories or hear these experiences, I feel a sense of pride and I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one going through this because in a lot of ways, that might've been the goal of assimilating people, forcing them to become a part of the community so you can become alone, right? Right. One of the first projects I did was uh, with a collective. There was three of us. We did a thing called the Windsor Project, so Windsor, Ontario. We went down and we interviewed people about their experiences because they're a border town. They're on the border with Detroit. Mm -hmm. And so when I listened to those stories, it's not like misery likes company, but it was kind of like, oh my goodness, while I was going through what I was going through in Nova Scotia and thought it was just my family, people here were going through those same kinds of things. So there was something, I don't know, it wasn't freeing, but something about it was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm not alone here. And it wasn't just in my head. And I just didn't make it all up either. It really happened. I would say it is freeing. That's a, like, that's a good word for it because a lot of times people say, oh no, that, that's not their intentions. That's not what they meant by it or that's not how it was supposed to be. So you don't know how to feel or you don't know, you don't want to say that everything is racist, but at the same time, right. there's a reality to the covert racism experience that we go through and that we experience here in Canada that is a lot different than somewhere like the United States where it's much more open. Mm -hmm. Do you think things are, 
are moving in a, I don't know, I want to say in a different direction, a better direction, or, or are we just more willing to go out there and tell our story and be more visible about, about the racism, do you think? In a sense, we're much more empowered to confront these issues of racism, but in a way, I would say that there are still so many people who are facing racism every day, who struggle with discrimination in their communities all across Canada, not to mention the lack of representation. You look in, in education, for example, I tend to be one of the only male Black teachers wherever I go, and that's just all across the board when it comes to doctors, lawyers. You look at our the House of Commons and our politicians, like, do they represent what our community looks like or wants to look like, right? Or the people that are able to stand up for our community? Right. I'm a licensed general machinist by trade. That was a previous career oh, I had cool. before I became a teacher. And I remember <laughs> once going shopping with my young daughters and I was getting some tools, some files and things I needed to work in the machine shop. And my daughter says to me, mommy, girls don't use those things. Those are just for boys. And so in her head, she had this idea of what were women's jobs and men's jobs. And, you know, I often think, but if we're not there, other young people don't think that's a possibility for their lives. Yeah. And I actually had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who told me she just found out I was a teacher and she was like, I had no idea that black people were even allowed to be teachers in this country because yeah. she had immigrated from South Sudan. And so that was a shocking comment to me on the impact of representation or even just something as simple as a parent when I'm walking, I'm walking into school, a parent would come up to me, a black mom would say, thank you for being here. Like my son really appreciates it. I see a change in his attitude. Things like that make me realize the importance of, of representation. I was a kindergarten teacher for the last nine years of my teaching career. And as, an, and as it happened, my teaching partner for first three or four years was a Black man uh, as well. And the parents, they would fight over wanting to have their children in our classes. Even people who weren't Black, other people of color wanted their kids in our class because they just felt this connection. And I loved it. I really loved that, that connection with parents. And I had one sibling and then the next sibling and then the next sibling. You know? sibling. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently going through that and it's kind of cool to see because you build that connection and it it doesn't become this like black white it just becomes this human connection that you have with them and yeah. and, and you see that the the whole racial thing there's no reason for it to be there and if you don't have those representations in the different sectors you're never going to build those connections with your community and the different people around you that's right that's right I know because I, I like you I would often be the only black teacher in, in my school often. And then when I got to a school, we had a black principal and he made it his mission to get as many teachers in there who were of color as he could. And at one point, I think there was eight or nine of us. It just changes the atmosphere in the school, even it having does. something as simple as that. I think about my elementary experiences and hearing stories of Martin Luther King and, you know, some of these other black people who have gone through situations, but they were still faced to be resilient. And it kind of gives you a sense of pride and how to move forward in your own life. I remember someone was saying how they were waiting to see when Nelson Mandela came out of prison and they were expecting him to be pretty angry and upset about the treatment. He'd been in jail for 28 years and, you know, what was he going to be like? And that is not the person who walked out of that prison. He had a plan and a vision as to what he wanted to see for his country. And look at that. He became the president of the country. 
with the nonviolent movement, how do you continue to stay? How do you continue to love your enemy in the face of all that is happening? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that challenges your character and calls you to be a better person. How can you not? How can you not? You also had some of the truck convoys, the protests. Yeah, there was the large convoy movement. And it's interesting to see how how things unfold in our country and the impact of, again, history and how different groups are allowed to protest. You know, you look at Oka history in Quebec uh, versus like the Wet'suwet'en protest and Tristan DeRocher, as I mentioned earlier, how those protests were handled as opposed to the truck convoy movement that are celebrated, essentially. You know what I mean? And so I question how things like that can happen. Again, going back to like the, the idea of history repeating itself, how do we continue to allow things like that to happen in our society in 2022? And how do we have conversations with people who have completely different ideas? How do you have those kinds of conversations? I mean, it's definitely difficult, and that's why I think it's it's so important to know the actual history of what has happened in our society. I had a high school teacher who always used to say, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. That quote always just rings in my head whenever I learn about something in history, and then I look at what's happening in society today, and it's basically mirror images of what's going on. So I just continue to think of that, and I'm like, people... I guess we don't know our real history and, and impact that our actions can have on others. If we don't know what's happened in the past, we don't know how to fix it, right? And we don't know how to change and things like that. So that's why it's important. I, I love history because you can look at it from so many different perspectives. And there's so many people who have impacted how society has, how, how society has unfolded based on their actions and their ability to just speak truth to power in a sense. So what's in the future for you? For me, it's to continue just to find out more of our history. They're currently reforming our curriculum, our education curriculum. And so trying to implement more Black education into the curriculum is something that I'm looking forward to. And just, again, implementing more representation in education, especially because then our stories can be told. The issue I see the most, especially when it comes to education, is that teachers don't know Black history and they don't know how to teach it, right? What's the approach? For example, is like, how do I learn about pre-colonial Africa if I've never, I don't know anything about Africa at all? You know, me coming from Africa and knowing my culture and knowing my history and being born there has allowed me to already know the history of Africa to create the lesson plans and tell the stories to the kids and give them the opportunity to know about the actual history of Africa, not just starting from slavery. There's much more to us than being enslaved people. Exactly. (laughs) Your students are really very lucky to have you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I had a really good time talking to you. And I look forward to, to hearing more of your conversations with other people. My plan is to come West, COVID permitting. I'm going to meet Carol and I want to meet some other people that she mentioned and I'd love to be able to come and meet you as well in person. Just don't come in the winter months, you know, you'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. You take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, www.intheblackcanada.ca to listen to black Canadians from across this country. 
talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being Black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcasts.